we're having some sort of little uh, technical difficulty, so I'm scrambling to tell Kathleen something and then come back up here. So how are, how is everybody? Thanksgiving week. Amen. God bless you guys. I don't know if you're um, planning on being with family or not. You know, we wish you all the best if you if you are and uh, pray COVID stays out of your homes and all that kind of stuff. I'll be glad when this is all over with. I am so tired of wearing a mask. Actually, I don't even have to wear it right now. So amen. See, people are texting me. I can't hear this. I can't hear that on the live stream. So thank you, by the way, whoever's texting me. God bless you guys. Um, let me pray. I'm a little scatterbrained. I need to calm down. <laughs> Father, we thank you that your presence is here. Come, Holy Spirit, and take over this time and this space right now. This room, all the homes that are people at home watching right now, take over their homes. Claim that property, this property and their properties for your glory. Drive out anything that would keep us from understanding what you're trying to say that would bring confusion or even anger. Father, I pray that you would penetrate our thoughts and bring us into alignment with with them, with your thoughts, with who you are. And I pray that you would give us that uncanny ability that, that only you can give as to taking on your mind. And we ask that you would wrap up Philippians for us today in a really great way. And we thank you for all that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good, man. So today is our last day in Philippians, which I'm kind of sad about because I've enjoyed this this series a lot. Um, I didn't think that I would. I didn't you know, go into it that way. But I don't know if you remember, Rachel, who's our prayer coordinator, came to me and said, I think we should go through Philippians. I was reading through it and the Lord really just spoke to me and I think she was right. So we find ourselves in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, if you want to turn there, page 804 in your pew Bibles, and then we're going to jump to verses 11 through 13, um, and you can read along with me in a moment. But I want to just be really clear that in my reading to, uh, for this today, I need to give credit to uh, Kent Hughes from his book on Philippians, because you know this ser- sermon is really laden with his words, his outline you know, uh, influenced it, and I tweaked it here and there, obviously, but... Uh, when you find something good, you use it and you give credit, or you use it and plagiarize it, whatever. But um, I'm trying not to plagiarize, I'm trying to give him credit. So Kent Hughes, really, he was a pastor of uh, that church in Wheaton, uh, college church maybe it was? Uh, anyway, but... So read along with me, Pat, uh, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to jump later to 11 through 13. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen to that. That's like a, that's a really nice little passage, you know, a very, you know, a lot of people know this passage, but you know, it's, it sounds so easy and simple, but it's not, it's not necessarily that easy and simple, right? You know, the human brain has uh, something like as much as 14 billion cells in it, you know, each one constantly interacting with as many as 10,000 cells itself. So, so it's an unparalleled computer, 
right, right between your ears, just this great computer. It's been compared to a thousand switchboards, each big enough to serve New York City. There's more electronic equivalent uh, in one human brain than in all the radio and television stations in the entire world to put together, apparently. You know, it's capable of receiving all levels of input uh, from creating great works of art uh, and also to receiving messages from God himself, which no computer could ever accomplish. Um, the height of its potential is, as Paul indicates, is that it can take on the mind of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That, that is a profound reality if you really think about it. It's constantly being renewed and transformed into his likeness. We see that in places like 1 Corinthians 2 and Romans 12, 1 and 2. So that gray mass between your ears uh, was created to have the mind of Christ. But often we don't reflect that, do we? In our thinking and in, in, in our thoughts and in our internal thoughts. But Paul reminds us that it is imperative for us to willingly and obediently invite Christ to take over our minds. Proverbs 4.23 warns us, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Yeah, amen, right? Your heart and mind, remember, are one and the same thing. We're not talking about the physical heart beating in your chest. When we hear that in Scripture, your heart is, uh, your heart and your minds are, are one and the same. Your mind is the seat of all emotion and all thought, all logic. And so when Jesus quoted Israel's Shema, he, he said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Mark chapter 12 verse 30. And mind was his addition there, right? He wants and demands to take charge of our minds for his glory and for our good, right? Remember the conflict that we talked about last week, the conflict between Eudea and Sintichi. I looked up how to pronounce her word, her name. I think that's right. I'm not really totally sure, but anyway, we'll go with that. But so Eudea and Satishi, you know, we looked at them last week and they're having this, this conflict that was threatening the unity of the Philippian church, right? Last week, as we, we looked at that, that conflict, Paul gave us five imperatives, which if obeyed would have brought them peace, right? If you remember those, number one, it was to stand firm in Christ. Number two, it was to rejoice in all situations in Christ. Number three, it was to be gentle with one another. Number four, it was not to be anxious. And, and that's, that one alone is hard for us, right? But not to be anxious. And then number five, it is to bring everything to before the Lord in constant prayer. You know, implemented well, Paul promised in verse 7 last week that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen for that. And now today, Paul exhorts us to embrace exalted thoughts, great thoughts, wonderful thoughts, and practices which enhance God's presence and peace in our lives. And he promised in verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. These six virtues that he lists in verses 8 and 9 uh, are qual- qualities that, that the Greco-Roman culture surrounding the Philippian church also held in high esteem. It's language, in other words, that the surrounding culture could understand and would understand. 
they also, if you remember, that all of humanity has been created in the image of God, so they also had this remnant of God in their souls, so they can also see good things in the world, and anything good in the world is God-authored from the very beginning and is not of human construction, because all of this emanates from, from the Lord, right? If something's good, it reflects the heart of God in the world, which people, people may just not re- recognize or realize yet. Paul's claiming these six virtues as marks of Christian thinking and character. He's calling people like Eudea and Sintichi, right, and the Philippian church as a whole to not only the Christian life, but one of influence on their surrounding culture and how they live and how they think and what they say and what they do, right? So the intention is that in the midst of uh, a crooked and twisted generation, as he calls it, the Philippians would also shine as lights to uh, out in the world, right? That was in chapter 2. So an attractive, ethical life, a life that can be trusted and relied on, is a powerful evangelistic tool in an unbelieving culture all around us. Think about all the people out there that right now we, we say we can't trust anybody almost anymore, Right? When all this is modeled well in our lives, it thumps with power. It just has a deep heartbeat of power in it. And Paul had always in mind Jesus' last command, which becomes our first concern in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Therefore, go and make, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a wonderful promise. And a wonderful call. And today, Paul gives us six powerful thoughts to assimilate in order for God's mission to be carried out in the world by his church without hindrance. Firstly, the Philippians must contemplate whatever is true. And that is truth in a, in a very comprehensive sense. Right? For followers of Christ, truth begins with Jesus' divine person as God the Son... The embodiment of truth, he is all truth, and his gospel is truth. As Colossians 1.5 says, the word of the truth, the gospel, Jesus states that God's word is truth, back in John 17.17, right? So everything true is from God, and all truth is God's. Therefore, a mind which contemplates truth not only sees Christ and the Word of God and the Gospel story as ultimate guiding truth in this world, but also engages God's creation, rejects irrational thinking, and there's a lot of that out there right now, and speaks truth in all situations. This mind seeks whatever's true in every, every avenue of life, this, this mind between our ears, right? It seeks whatever is true in every avenue of life, from faith to science to relationships to public life and to business and everything in between. You know, I stopped behind a car this week right down here on Route 30. And, you know, I, I always read people's bumper stickers. I love bumper stickers. Um, and I want to start a business, and don't somebody copy this, but of blank bumper stickers with like permanent markers. You're going to copy it. You're like an entrepreneur. And, and, you know, so you can write your own bumper sticker. Wouldn't that be great? I think that would be wonderful. But anyway, so I stopped behind this car, and it says, it says, I support the separation 
of church and hate. Not church and state, right? But church and hate, right? Right away, mine peaked. I mean, you know, my interest has peaked. And, and so I read the other one, and it said, the great thing about science is that it is true whether you believe it or not. And what an arrogant statement. I'm sorry. It is just such an arrogant statement. It's obviously a person driving that car who's got an axe to grind against the church for some reason or against Christianity and regards Christianity and Christians as being anti-science. I don't know where anybody ever got that. We are not anti-science. Christians have fostered the pursuit of knowledge and truth all throughout, you know, throughout through the scientific process all throughout history. We've made our mistakes. I'm not saying we've not made our mistakes, but we have done this. Some of you are scientists in the room. That drummer that was back here earlier, Albert, he's a scientist, right? And the fly in the ointment concerning a deep trust in science in your life is that it is a humanistic endeavor done by very faulty people, right? They make mistakes. They tend to take theories and make them absolute truths. But all you got to do is go home tonight and Google scientific theories that have been overturned over time, and you will find a very healthy list that certain theories that we trusted in, like, oh, that could never be false, got overturned when somebody overturned another rock and found some new little detail. It, you know, it's just not how, you know, everybody out there is arguing about science over COVID. Nobody can seem to decide what the science actually really says, or at least it doesn't seem to be clear to everybody, right? Second, get off that one. We'll go on. (laughs) Second, Paul's readers must focus on whatever's honorable, right? The Greek word here translated honorable is used in the epistles to to teach what those who are older in the faith or who are in leadership in the faith must be like. And so the word signifies a personal sort of moral excellence that's dignified and worthy of honor. A noble life of spiritual sort of gravitas that evokes honor in, in, a, in another person, right? It is the opposite of ignoble The Philippians are to focus on whatever is dignified, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, and they are to aspire to such character. Do we aspire to such things as that? Thirdly, they were to concentrate on what is just. Big word in our our culture right now. For Paul, that which is just is, or, or right in the world is defined by the character of God. But he also used just or right in the sense of right, right thought or right action back in chapter 1. The Philippians were to contemplate the things which make for just living. In short, doing the right thing. In short, fairness and things like that. Fourthly, the readers were to focus on whatever's pure, Right? And that's not just limited to sexual purity, although it means that. But it extends out to all areas of moral purity in thought and speech and action. To focus, in other words, on what that which is not tainted with evil. Fifthly, the Philippians were to contemplate whatever is lovely. That's a good word, right? Attractive things, lovely things including not only what's morally lovely, but aesthetically lovely. 
This is where us artists come into play. We get you to remember these things, right? All the beauty of creation and humanity, from sunsets to great works of art, to music, to caring for the poor, to speaking out for the powerless, all those, anything beautiful, anything beautiful and lovely, either morally or aesthetically lovely and beautiful, right? Think on those things. Contemplate those things. I love, my wife was out outside yesterday just working in the garden all day long because everybody knows it was beautiful outside yesterday, right? And she just appreciates that so much. And I kind of get to vicariously live through that a little bit. Sixth, Paul, sixth, Paul, <laughs> Paul's readers were to consider whatever's commendable. And that just basically refers to any kind of conduct that is spoken of highly by other people, right? You know, these six qualities are what Paul desired for the, for the Philippians, right? For his readers. It's a challenging outline of how we are to think as believers. Which he then frames it with this comprehensive summary and command. He says, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And he's saying that in the, the, the constant sense, right? Nothing of moral excellence or, or that, would be earn, that, that would earn the praise of God or man must be left out of, of the Christian thought life. And he urges us to think continually, constantly on these things. Think about your thinking, right? Where do you, where do you, uh, where do you center your thoughts? Are you constantly complaining? Are you constantly seeing the negative? Eudea and Sintichi, immersed in conflict, obviously hadn't been thinking high thoughts of each other, right? Sometimes we get a view of a person and we just cannot get it out of our head, although the reality of them is very different than that. Or, or it's coming from assumptions, assumptions in our thoughts about them instead of the reality of who they really are as a person. And that's unfair to them, right? So if they could take on this challenge, beginning to think thoughts like these, they would find reconciliation in their, in, uh, uh, more easily in their relationship, right? And as the, the Philippians began to think, uh, think upon and live out these, uh, of these virtue, virtues, the light of the gospel could influence the surrounding culture through them really, really well. And so what we find out is that witness is comprehensive and begins with the internal transformation of our minds into the likeness of Christ as seen, and it comes out as seen in our thoughts and actions, private and public life. Our culture often sort of presents the antithesis to Paul's list, doesn't it? Right? The things that we value, the things that we pursue in our culture are the absolute antithesis, most likely, you know, when you look out in the world, to this list. We become increasingly eroticized and violent and intolerant of Jesus' ways in this society. Often we can't tell the difference, and this is a sad thing to say, often we can't tell the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. Our minds, too, have become increasingly eroticized and blasphemous with thinking that is often not worthy or unworthy of the calling that we have received. The psalmist says in number uh, Psalm 101, he says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Think about what you put 
put in your brain, which you put your eyes to. Jesus said it even more intensely. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. That's strong words, isn't it? Speaking sort of hypothetically, Jesus' words bring to light the very imperative of taking on his mind, of willingly doing this. Since it plays out in our witness, in our relationships with each other, and our witness as a church to the surrounding community around us. It seems like everybody only has a criticism of the church these days. Well-founded or not. And oftentimes it's not well-founded. There was a friend of mine told me that his pastor uh, had a wedding dress up on the stage one day. And he he was preaching about the church. And he said, what if, what if I did this? And he took a thing of paint and just, you know, put it all over this wedding dress. And everybody's like, oh. And he's like, well, that's what you do when you talk badly about the church. That is the bride of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be critical of, of things that we need to be critical of in our, in, in our community. But it does mean that the willy-nilly just bad-mouthing of the church and of Christians is not helpful at all, especially from Christians. So think about what you say. Are you overtly negative? Are you overtly anxious right now? Are you overtly angry or bitter? Or or any one of things out there, right? Choose to think well. Choose to think better thoughts. Are you tempted to sin in certain situations? Choose to make better decisions because the Christian life is one of self-denial, right? Of turning away from those things, even those desires within us which are not healthy, you know, and they're, they're the opposite of what's on Paul's list because it's good for us. Self-denial is actually good for you. I know that we, we hear the exact opposite in the world. Feed your heart, do whatever your heart says, you know, you know, find your pleasure and all that kind of stuff. No, that's actually very unhealthy for you. The greatest remedy for all of this is simply time spent reading and meditating on Scripture. You do not understand, and there is a great attack, and it's a satanic attack on the authority of God's Word in in this society right now. So remember, one of the greatest things you can do is spend time reading and meditating on Scripture. This is God's Word to us. Jesus embodies scriptural truth, and time spent in His Word is essential, essential to the Christian life. And we often choose to go throughout our days and weeks not hiding his words in our hearts so that we might not sin against them, as David said in Psalm 119.11. We aren't influenced by that which we do not know. Let me say that twice. We are not influenced by that which we do not know. And if you're not spending time with Jesus, you're not knowing Jesus, and therefore you're not becoming like Jesus. Now, I will say that there might be a little bit of osmosis going on. You show up to church, you go to community group, you talk to a few people, but your walk, your internal private walk, should be an intentional pursuit of Jesus in all moments of your life, public and private. And let me be honest, a little effort goes a long way. 
15 minutes in the Word in the morning, journaling and praying, makes for a vast big difference in your mindset, right? Hiding God's Word in our hearts, making time for quiet meditation in our our daily uh, regime or whatever it is, reading and rereading passages, listening to the Holy Spirit, turning His thoughts over in our minds, praying over a word or a phrase all makes a huge difference. It gives Jesus the opportunity to transform you even further. Remember what Francis Chan said too to us last week. He said, if I come across something in in the scriptures that I disagree with, then I have to assume that I'm wrong and not the scriptures. Because we are listening to our Heavenly Father, right? And Dad knows best. Especially this Dad, he knows best. No, I'm just kidding. But the call... To acquaint ourselves with all of God's word uh, by daily immersion is absolutely imperative to our Christian life. You know, five pages a day uh, takes you through the whole Bible in a year. Five pages a day. That's it. And there, You know, it's not much. Five pages a day you can read through the whole Bible in a year. I know Chuck and Christy have done this together over time. They've read through the Bible a few times and, and you know, that's freaking awesome. Can you say freaking in church? It's freaking awesome. I just said it. So, But anyway, we are called, if you remember in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are called to take every captive, every thought captive to Christ. Every thought captive to Christ. That's how important this is. Now, one way for this to work out practically is to memorize Scripture. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a great one for temptation. Temptation, no, no temptation has seized you except for what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not be, let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I think I memorized it differently than this, this version, but... Um, you know, that is a verse which helps us to avoid thoughts and choices that are damaging to our lives and to the others around us, right? And damaging to, to Christ's name and his witness as well. Immersion in God's word is necessary to counteract all the putridity that we swim in otherwise. Because you turn on the news, you turn on, I mean, just anything, it is not healthy right now, is it? Here again, Paul's charge to sort of think about whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable is powerfully phrased because when he says, think about these things, he uses the Greek word from which we get the word logarithm, right? So Paul, Paul commands the same sort of deep, deliberate contemplation of these virtues that it would take to work out a math problem. And if you're anything like me, I am no good at math, so stick me in front of a math problem. It takes a lot of thought. And that's what he's saying. Get down on these things. Just start to really think about them, right? And Paul himself lived out of these six whatever qualities that he was calling his readers to ponder on, right? He had the mind of Christ on him. He, right, he contemplating whatever is true, he lived it, right? He thought, uh, you know, uh, he thought about and he lived honorably and justly and purely and he pondered lovely things and commendable things and he lived these attributes out and the Philippians saw that in him, right? So he presents his own life and we think it's arrogant, but it's really not. 
Because he's pointing everybody through his own life back to Christ. He, 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 he says, I'm putting myself as an example to imitate. He says, whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Man, as a pastor, I wish I could say that even better about myself. That's convicting, isn't it? It really is. These six virtues weren't to be like exalted abstractions of sort of esoteric contemplation, like some special knowledge that only a few high elite people can get. These are to be lived out in the flesh and blood of the Christian life in all of us. All the Philippians and all of us over time. Taking on the mind of Christ transforms how we live and speaks a great deal to others around us. I remember when I first became a Christian, all I had was a, a Bible, a pen, and a journal. And every morning I would go out. I used to live with five other guys, or maybe, I think seven, seven other guys at one time. Just a trash house in Berwyn. Really great people that rented it to us, but oh my gosh, it was terrible. But I would sit outside on the back stoop, you know, because it's all noisy inside them making breakfast and stuff. And I would just have this quiet time. I learned how to do that from my pastor. He said, just sit down, observe, interpret, and apply what you see just pray through it ask the holy spirit to lead you and then just write down your thoughts i grew like a weed like i was just man just so much changed in my life as a result of that habit right you know they had paul's a personal example whether he was present with them or away they knew Paul's character and conduct in life, his, his bravery, how he faced trials, how his devotion, his prayer life, his patient suffering, his resiliency and everything. When he was with them, they saw his godly example and his modeling of these virtues he pressed upon them right now. He was a pattern of an excellent and worthy life. Isn't that a great thing to attain to? So Paul commanded and promised, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. The truth is that we've not learned these things until we've practiced them. That's worth a second. We have not learned these things until we're practicing them in our lives. And it takes a long time to change sometimes. But remember, noble thoughts are are very little value unless they are translated into deeds in our lives, right? Unless Christ is changing us and it's coming out and how we're living, it's not worth it. I I was uh, waiting for some food at a a bar the other night, Pizza Sam's Pizza over here. A really nice guy next to me, but he was really drunk. And uh, <laughs> he was like, sitting there telling me all this stuff and all of his escapades and stuff. And it was funny, you know, it was just funny listening to him. And, you know, I was telling him about how we, um, you know, uh, Sharon Att just came to us from Ethiopia. And I was telling him about the, you know, my four other other kids and then how we're bringing in foster kids from the border and all this kind of stuff. And, he, and he's like, oh, praise, you know, that's great. Oh, you know, and he's like just toasting me and everything. And then... I said, and I asked him what he did for a living, and he apparently was independently wealthy, sold this big company, and he's just living off the money, all this stuff. And I'm like, great, great, great. And then I said, you got to guess what I do for a living. <laughs> and he said, uh, are you a lawyer? I'm like, nope. He's like, you can't be a doctor. You're not a doctor, are you? I'm like, nope. And so a few other guesses, he, he couldn't get it. I said, dude, I'm a pastor. 
And he goes, oh, yeah, Jesus is my man. Like, <laughs> and he went off. Yeah, yeah. Like, people ask me, how did you get the way you are? I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, and all stuff. And, <laughs> and God bless him. God bless him. I, I, I shouldn't make fun of him. But it, it, it was a, a moment where I saw this. Sometimes we think we're more than we are. Are we really growing in, in the likeness of Christ? Are we really being changed? Or do we just sit on the bar stool thinking, well, I'm so awesome. You know, <laughs> it's, it's really something to think about. You know, Paul addressed anxiety plenty in this letter, right? Anxiety seems to be a big one for us right now. What, maybe to div- diminish anxiety in your life, maybe it would be good to memorize verses like Isaiah 41.10. He says, do not fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, does that mean you're not going to get COVID? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means whatever happens, God is with you, and he will strengthen you to get through it. You know, so memorize that verse, or, you know, and, 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 and then actually believe it. Actually choose to believe it, even if you don't feel it. Because remember, feelings are like unruly children once they've been let loose for a long period of time with no, no uh, direction. Your feelings should not control your life. Your mind, the mind of Christ should control your life and bring your feelings under authority of that. So even though you don't feel it to be true, say, I believe this is true. I'm not talking about magic. I'm talking about obedience, Right? Say, I believe this to be true and, and live as if it's true and it will change your outlook and your choices and your feelings will follow. I guarantee you, it's from my experience. These virtues, virtues become a reality on the basis of the choices that we make in everyday life with people around us. And Paul calls us to overwrite the world's messages to us with these virtues and for them to be put into practice such that in time words like truth and justice and purity would be written large over our lives. That when they look at you, when somebody else looks at you, they actually do see Jesus and not just a drunk side guy sitting on the stool, right? But they actually see Jesus and they actually sense that honor in you and they sense that purity in you and they sense that holiness in you. And there's a difference. That drew, my, my brother was, was the guy that shared the gospel with me that, that brought me to faith. And I had such a high regard for my brother at that moment. Still do. He's a pastor in Florida right now. Um, but if you want to be a person that reflects Jesus and truly embraces things like diversity and justice, two very you know, big cultural issues right now, then take on the mind of Christ. Because you know what? He had a corner on those concepts before anybody else made them popular. Right? Anything good in the world is from the Lord, right? It's much less about going on marches or even changing laws. It's absolutely concerned with us becoming like Jesus. And that bleeding out to the world around us. Absolutely concerned with that. And the end result, as Paul says, the God of peace will be with you. In verse 7, Paul promised God's own personal peace and serenity. But here the reward is the God of peace himself. God's salvation, as he said in verse 7 last week, God's salvation garrisons our hearts 
you know, and protects us. We talked about that last week. Here it's his presence which blesses and saves. God's peace and presence cannot be separated. They are his gift to us. And when his peace firmly reigns in the local church, it radiates the light of Christ out to others. Right now, with uh, the political narrative and COVID-19, the world needs peace and serenity and definitely a lot less anxiety. Personal spiritual formation, your personal spiritual formation in Christ, taking on these attributes in thought and and mulling them over and and thinking God's thoughts is not only a path to peace and serenity, but it is the best witness to the world of the life-changing nature of being in Christ. I'm not saying we're going to become perfect, that we're not going to have our faults, but man, we want to be growing up as we grow old, right? The matter of our minds is of utmost importance, right? Yeah, I don't know. What, what is that movie that they just came out with, the, the Facebook and social media thing? The Social Dilemma. And how all these... these uh, major like leaders in those those things like Facebook and Instagram and stuff have quit on ethical dilemmas because they and they won't even use those products themselves because they know that they've just been been designed to control our brains so you know you get up in the morning like you used to not be a phone phone person at all now you get up in the morning you're like you can't stay off of it right it's addictive there's something that they they have built it in there so that it's just you know you cannot do without it the matter of of our minds is of of utmost importance and the shame is that they know that better than us sometimes right maybe it would be better to wake up and open your bible first thing uh, Kathleen keeps getting me to watch this uh, this show called The Chosen. Apparently, it's a biblical narrative and you know really good and all that stuff. So I want to go home and watch it. But maybe it's better that I watch that instead of stupid YouTube videos of stupid car chases and things like that, which I am guilty of doing. Right? There must be a con- conscious sort of rejection of all that is not consonant with the mind of Christ. And we have to replace that with the conscious high thoughts in Jesus. Thinking leads to daily practice so that the mind of Christ emanates from, from us out to a lost world. Our witness becomes practical and ethical and powerful so that we can fulfill our calling in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and go and make disciples of all people groups, all nations, Right? And then Paul makes this great statement in in, uh, verses 11 through 13. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now remember, Paul doesn't control his circumstances, but he learns to be content in them, right? I know what uh, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Another great set of verses to memorize, right? Now, the Stoics at the time uh, regarded contentment as sort of the essence of all the virtues, For them, contentment described the mindset of the person who had become independent of all things and all all people, right? He just stood on his own, 
right? Sort of the, the, the image of the American, right? We are individual, rugged individualist, right? The Stoics said, man should be sufficient unto himself for all things and able by the power of his will to resist the force of circumstances. So the Stoic ideal for life was a, a kind of self-contained superman, right? Able to sort of rise above it at all in independent self-sufficiency. Now, that's all well and good for a time. It works for a little bit. Of, but when COVID hits and lockdowns happen or somebody gets sick and dies in your family or, or whatever, or you lose your job or whatever it is, we all know that that's a bunch of prideful malarkey. We don't just stand on our own. Paul redefined contentment as Christ-centered, right? As God-sufficient, not self-sufficient. Contentment's rooted in God rather than the temporal self. So while Paul and the Stoics may appear to be close in thought, they are actually worlds apart in their thinking. Paul's sufficient and content, not because he's independent out there, you know, not tied to anything, not beholden to anything, but because he is absolutely dependent on Christ. And that's why his statements of being an example are not arrogant, because he draws everything from Jesus. And he is interdependent in Christian fellowship. He needs the Philippians. He needs their input. They feed his soul, right? As the Spirit works through the body of Christ. Given the unparalleled miseries and joys that he experienced in life, this affirmation of continual contentment is absolutely amazing in Paul's life. And that is a statement that no honest Stoic could have ever made. Right? But Paul can make it. And contentment, he says, is available to anybody in Christ. Do you feel content? Paul's point is that Christian contentment remains a mystery to those outside of Jesus and it can only be learned by those in Christ. It comes through intimately knowing Jesus. Paul had come to know this secret of contentment over a long period of time. Right? He, his learning was a part of his spiritual growth and sanctification. He spent a few years after he got knocked off the horse just soaking things up. The question for us is, have we learned that secret? Or would somebody say, he's a pretty content guy. He's, she's a pretty content woman. You know, and as a result of this, Paul says, I can do all things. Now, that doesn't mean that he can jump off a cliff and flap his arms and fly away. That's not what he's saying. When he says, I can do all things, it is controlled by his context, Right? whatever context he finds himself in. Paul is confident that he will be divinely strengthened to do anything that God calls him to do or, or any situation that God puts him in. And not only could, could Paul be uh, content, content and confident uh, in every circumstance, he could also be sure that he was equipped with divine power to deal with it in the moment. And Paul says much of the same thing in Colossians chapter 1, where he reveals that it's Christ who sustains his, his sort of active ministry. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul toils and he struggles, straining with all his might, but it's the energy and the power of Christ which strengthens him. So do you want contentment and peace no matter what situation you find yourself in? Do you want to live the great adventure of being an absolute witness of Christ to the world and to the people around you, the people you love and even the strangers that you meet? And do you realize that all these things are available to you in Christ? If so, then whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Follow Paul's example and practice these things and the God of Paul uh, of, of, of peace will be with you. Guard what you fill your mind with. Think good thoughts about others. Spend daily time in the Word privately and with others and fellowship with others. Take all your requests, your requests to God in prayer and let Him fight your battles. Assimilate the mind of Christ into your life because you are what you eat. You are what you eat. So fill your mind and become a very powerful witness for Jesus. Amen to that? Amen. Father, we thank you for the book of Philippians. It was just a great study to do. We could have kept going. We could have you know, picked apart every little word, but I think you gave us the meat and potatoes of it all. And I ask that you would challenge us, Lord Jesus, to grow up in the faith as we grow old. Let us have the goal of being spiritually mature in you, taking on your mind, willingly and obediently giving our thoughts over to you so that we can be both uh, more peaceful but also a great witness to the world around us we love you so much and we as your children we want to reflect our father in all that we say think and do amen it's all you baby